Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Thank you for braving the rain, those of you here in person. Hello to everyone online. Thank you for joining us today. It is the middle of July. Don't know how that's happened already. How's everybody's summer? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Good. Hopefully you're doing fun things, enjoying just a breather. And I, I was very excited because we've been going through the book of Luke for almost a year now, guys, and I love it. I've enjoyed all the different stories, but I really was excited that this summer we're just digging into the parables. Jesus telling stories. I like it. That just felt like a very summer, summer of stories, I wanted to say. And so I've been thinking about all the different ways that I take in stories, and one of those ways is TV and movies fun way, take in stories, and one of the actors that I've come to appreciate only, only later is Tony Hale. He has played some memorable characters. Here are some faces of Tony, his real face as we have up top, but I first met him as Buster Bluth on Arrested Development. He is in the purple here with his hook for a hand, if you are a fan of that show at all. He has also played Gary. He won two Emmys for playing Gary, the personal assistant or body man on Veep for Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character. He voiced Forky, Toy Story fans out there, anybody? And then he has recently both Mr. Benedict and Mr. Curtain on the Disney adaptation of The Mysterious Benedict Society. That one's new to me. I just started watching it this week because I was working on the sermon, and it's good so far. So I love him most, though, as Buster, because that's how I met him. But I didn't really appreciate all his acting skills until I saw that he could do other things, obviously. But this character, as the title of the show says, Arrested Development, he's definitely not grown up. He's the baby of the family, and they always mock him because he drinks juice and clings to his mom all the time. And one of the, the whole show though, you know, it's just, I don't know if I can recommend, like you have to take my opinion with a grain of salt because they're not likable characters. In fact, Tony said his parents are like, we still don't get it. Like we don't, we don't like your show. He's like, thanks mom and dad. I mean, he's like, they're very supportive of me. They just don't get the show because they're very terrible people. And you kind of laugh at that. But if you do know the show, you know that sometimes well, the family, they don't know how to communicate to one another in words all the time. And one of the methods that they try to show their feelings is by throwing dinner parties. They tried an intervention for their mom one time, and that didn't go well. Uh, they tried to apologize through a dinner party. They've tried to gain sympathy from other people through a dinner party. And Lucille, the mom on the show, well, she once threw a party for spite. A whole party, just for spite. And so if you want to put the next slide up, I don't know if you can read it. It was the clearest picture I could get. But, but the banner to welcome the party is, you're killing me, Buster. Like this was her, her party for Buster because he was being sent away by Army. Yes, he doesn't call it the Army, by Army. Army was sending him away. She was mad. So she throws him a going away party, but puts that banner up there. Now that's a returning gag because later they bring the banner back 
And when he comes back home, and he's actually coming home from the hospital, you can see they've kind of taped over it. And so they've tried to make it welcome home. But then Buster is very distraught because he has lost his hand. And he goes into a rage, and he pulls down the sign and realizes they've still got the you're killing me, Buster, on the back of it. And finally, they threw a party for him episodes later, seasons later, uh, and for he got an award. And then they changed the banner to you're kidding me? Like, they couldn't figure out how to fix the banner, so they put D's in there. Now, maybe, maybe I enjoyed Buster because he was the most sympathetic of very treacherous people, but Tony said that his character, he was told that he was a very fearful character, and he's like, but I also realize he's very selfish. He's like, he just cared about his safety, and he was terrified, but he's like, everybody else could die, and he was like, I'm going to hold on to the life jacket. Now, Tony shared that it was kind of hard to step into characters as a new actor. He was trying to figure out, well, what do I do if I'm playing someone that I don't really like? And so he went to an acting coach who gave him this advice. He said, I was playing a character who was manipulative, kind of a player, and I just remember thinking, I just hate people like this. I went to an acting coach named Diana Castle here in L.A., and she said, Tony, you have to realize that those things are inside of you. And he said, I woke up to the fact that, like, she's right. Like, I have been manipulative before. I'm not proud of it. But the more I'm bringing myself to the character, rather than playing the idea of a character, that, to me, is the most authentic version. Now, he's talking about this idea on a podcast called Everything Happens by Kate Bowler. And it's a actually a podcast about faith. And Tony is a believer. And so he was just like talking about like what this meant to him to play different characters and how that affected how he lived for Jesus in his daily life. And he says, this is what that acting skill taught him. He said, carrying it over into life, think of someone that we all can't stand. And I think about the traits of that person. And if I'm being honest, they are in myself. Even though I might not want to have a lunch with that person, I might actually build a little bit of compassion for that person if I can see myself in them. So that's the thing about stories. They can help us explore maybe some people we don't always relate to, maybe some people we don't want to admit we can relate to. But this isn't new. Jesus told stories all the time. He had awkward dinner parties like Arrested Development. I mean, some people threw a dinner party, invited him just for spite. And we're going to read one of those today. But when Jesus told stories, he was trying to say, I need you to look at the different perspectives at this table and figure out where you are and what you have in common with each of those. So we have been in our journey of the redeemed, as we said, and now we're in Luke chapter 14. And let's, let's take a look around the table. Luke 14 verse 1 says, One Sabbath, that's a key word, it's on the Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee. And he was being carefully watched. Right, we're going to stop right there because that gives us our setting. And we're going to remember that the book of Luke, what does it have the most of in all the stories of Jesus? We got food, guys. You know that I love a good dinner party, meal with Jesus, 
Maybe that's why I was drawn to the book of Luke. Lots of food. You invite me to a dinner party, I show up. You invite Jesus and feed him, he's going to show up. Doesn't matter who you are. Jesus is coming to your dinner party. So let's also recap, though. He said it was at a house of a Pharisee. We have tried to go through and look and remember and sort out all of these, I call them spiritual influencers of the culture. Because Jesus is always kind of like debating and talking with people, and they have different titles, well, they believe different things, and we keep trying to remember, here's our different circles of people. And you'll notice that the Pharisees, they loved God's law. They studied it all the time. So anything you see in your Bible that's in the Old Testament, they have studied. They have memorized. In fact, they get very excited about their interpretations of that law. That's why they conflicted with Jesus. Because Jesus kept looking at them and like, well, I'm not sure I always agree with your interpretation. And they felt threatened. So that's why when they invite Jesus to dinner, they're watching him. He's not their favorite person. So imagine saying yes to a dinner party where you know people are watching you. That's not at all awkward. Oh, and guess what? This is the third meal that Jesus ate with these kind of leaders, with the Pharisees. If you remember all the way back in January, we looked at Luke 7. And that's the dinner party where Jesus was eating. And the woman came in and cried at his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And then Jesus looked at his host and called him not hospitable. That's an awkward dinner party. The second one was in Luke 11 where Jesus sits down to eat and he's like, let me list out all the ways you guys are hypocritical. Another great dinner party. Why do they keep inviting him? Well, let's find out. Verse 2 says, there in front of Jesus was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law. Because remember, it's Sabbath. So Jesus looks at them and said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and sent him on his way. Then Jesus asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? They had nothing to say. No comeback. So this seems a little suspicious, like Jesus shows up and either like in the doorway before he walks in or maybe invited at the table, there happens to be someone who could use some healing and it's Sabbath. Do you think it's a setup? Feels like it. So Jesus, he has, he asked the Pharisees, he asked about healing on the Sabbath to be like, okay, what do you say? Obviously something's going on here. And everyone had an interpretation because it said in God's law, the Sabbath day is holy. On it, you should rest. And that's all we got. We just have rest and holiness, nothing specific. Well, people fill in the gaps when you leave gaps, right? And so the Pharisees, they have gone through and they have been like, okay, let me define rest for you. You can only walk this many miles or not even a full mile. You could only do this kind of item. You have to prepare your food before, right? Like, so they did all of these things and said, here's what work is. Healing. Is that work or not? Well, they defined it as 
If someone's life was threatened, if they were going to perish, if you did nothing, then you could intervene and you could help someone, even on the Sabbath. But they're like, well, any other case, just let them be. They can suffer for another day. So they don't really say anything because they're like, well, we don't know if this guy's going to make it or not. So I guess you have to ask him how dire is your situation. But Jesus was trying to say, look, remember, you're worried about work. And it says rest on the Sabbath. But he's like, remember, remember the first sentence that says, the Sabbath is supposed to be a holy day. What is more holy than releasing someone from the prison of pain and suffering and giving them freedom to worship? Worship freely. Worship with full strength. And connect to God. What better day than Sabbath? So Jesus is like, I don't care if his life is threatened or not. And he brings up these different, the whole child falling in a well or ox. There was all these different interpretations and rules and laws that they had put into place. And he's just challenging them to be like, can you just change your perspective and see what God made this day for? Let's keep going. Verse 7 says, When Jesus noticed how the guests picked their places of honor at the table, so apparently there's no seating chart, you come in and you try to decide where to sit, and there was kind of like, there was good seats and not good seats. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Jesus is like watching them shuffle. And so he decides to tell his first story. It says this is a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, Jesus said, Do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you might have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, "Mm, you need to give that person your seat. And then you're humiliated, and you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. Then, when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Well, this is called a parable here. So Jesus isn't just giving social advice, although it's an interesting thing of the times. There's actually a deeper meaning. But first, let's talk the logistics. We have talked before of what dinner tables look like. And we've tried to have a picture you can see on the screen where the table is in the shape of kind of like a U. And so the the best seats of the house would be the little connector between the two legs, right? Because you're in the center. You can kind of see that, right? Like, if you're in that spot, you can see everyone up the sides. Everyone can see you. does not feel like a very honorable place to sit. So that's the best seat. And if the host has invited someone super important, then the host would place the person right there. So that's what Jesus is showing. And then if you're on the ends, maybe you have to, like, shout louder to be heard Or maybe no one's noticing you over there and you feel a little slighted. So you can see kind of the order of importance. So that is where you would go. And obviously, we see the social social cues in Jesus' parable is like, well, don't act like you're the greatest when you come in. Like, don't be high on your own importance. Like, like seriously, just choose a seat and be humble about it. And if it's like a nice thing, then the host will honor you. But we're saying that there's more to the story here. So let's look at three perspectives to give us what's the deeper meaning. What's really behind this parable of Jesus? Well, first, we have to look at the listeners of Jesus' day. Like, his original audience, who Jesus is talking to, are Pharisees here, right? And so 
Let's look from their perspective. At the meal, we already know from other scriptures we've read and discussed in the book of Luke that the Pharisees, they, they liked showing off. They kind of liked the important places. It says that when they went into the synagogue to worship every week, they would like pick the seats that were visible, right? They liked when they walked down the street and people kind of bowed in their presence, like you're an honorable, learned person. So we've already seen the definition in the book of Luke that these Pharisees are struggling. They're struggling with their importance. And so Jesus is kind of like poking at them. (laughs) Can you see it? Like he's just like, let me paint for you a picture. So he's just like poking at their idea. Now, they sometimes... The Pharisees, we saw the other circle of people were Sadducees, and sometimes they butted heads of, like, who was more important. And they definitely have been trying to be more important than Jesus because Jesus is gaining followers, and they're, like, threatened by this. So they're very much about status. But Jesus is trying to say, like, this isn't about a meal. His picture is about God's kingdom because they're thinking, well, I've done all the studying of God's word. I'm really smart. I know all the facts. Therefore, I should sit in the important seats because God sees me as important. And Jesus is like, when you get into God's kingdom, he's not going to have tables like that. Like the Jesus' disciples are trying to fight, like who's going to sit by him in heaven? And Jesus is like, that's not what it's going to be like. like. Maybe it'll be like a round table like King Arthur or maybe just no tables at all. We're all just sitting on the ground and having a picnic together. Like Jesus is like, God doesn't rank you. And I think that's hard for us because we're human. We rank each other all the time. I mean, subconsciously, you like look at someone and you kind of define them in your brain. You think about where they are or where they fit into how similar are they to you or not or where they are on the social scale. Should you use your polite words around this person or can you just be like, yeah, hanging out, right? Like there's these social cues we feel. But Jesus is like, you have to throw that away for God's kingdom. Because when God says, come in, he's not going to be like, well, this was the person who was a believer the longest. They have loved me their whole lives. But this person over here loves me too. And it's hard for us to understand that God has equal love for all of us. So Jesus is trying to get us to grapple with that godly perspective. So next, number two, the second perspective we can look at is who first read the book of Luke. When Luke wrote down all of these stories, he gave it to the first church of the day. When Jesus had died, rose again, went back to heaven, and he entrusted human beings to gather together and to spread the news. And they were the first church. And they were trying to figure out how to live like Jesus. But here's the trick. There was just a lot of different cultures coming together during that first church because we had people that grew up in the Jewish faith and then they were following Jesus and starting to figure out what does that mean to their practices. And then over here were new people, non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. They were meeting all kinds of people out in the world. And Jesus says, invite them into the church too. And that might feel like you might feel like a little bit of ownership, like we began this thing and you're newbies, right? So the people first reading this story written down in the book of Luke were probably like, oh, are we being Pharisees here? Are we inviting the new people in and making them sit at the end until they figure things out? 
do we feel like we've got more honor just because we've been at this a little longer? Jesus kept trying to change the perspective, and he's like, you are my chosen people, and then God was ready to choose everybody. Like the Jewish people, you are a light in the darkness to bring more people in. He's like, yes, you are chosen, and everyone else is too. So that would have been the struggle of that cultural time. And now our third perspective is us today. We're reading this parable. Do you think there's hierarchy in the church at all? I'm talking like global church. There's a little bit, like, are there some famous Christians out there, wouldn't you say? Like, there's some names of some people you know who are preachers or who are, you know, just, they're just, maybe they sing, right? Like, there's still a celebrity status, even in God's church. And I'll have to be honest, I used to think that was really cool. I mean, I was like, how would that feel to be on a stage and, like, preach to thousands of people? Or to, like, have it broadcast and to be known and be invited to go all these fancy places? And I don't know if there's, not saying there's stuff wrong with that, but then, I don't know. It kind of trips me up because, like, in my last job, I interviewed people. That's what I did. I interviewed people, wrote articles about them. And I loved hearing people's hearts about ministering to God. But every once in a while, it felt a little icky. This one time, I was guided by a person with a headset to a green room to talk to the preacher for the day. And it just didn't didn't feel right. It just felt like, why are we set apart? Or why this person is like preaching the Bible and people are kind of idolizing them. And then I've seen those idols fall and they've made national headlines and I'm sure you've seen them too. And then I think, well, we're all to blame because any of us that like, bought the ticket for the spiritual show, bought the t-shirt, right? Like, what are we buying into? And it's just, a, it's just a soul check to be like, people can be known, but how do we sit at the table together? How do we stay humble? How do we just treat one another as equal members of God's kingdom? There's more on this conversation. Let's go to verse 12. Jesus said to his host, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't just invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, and then you'll get repaid. But if you give a banquet, invite the poor, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. They can't repay you, but you'll be repaid in the resurrection. So literally and figuratively there, Jesus is like, you can invite people to your table. And also, you can invite people into your church, into your worship. So both literally at your table and at God's table figuratively. Jesus is like, look beyond the obvious. Look beyond the people who are the easiest to invite. And try to reach out to someone else. And you know, he's looking and he's saying, yeah, the world isn't equal on like a resources level, right? 
Jesus is saying it then, we can see it now. It's always how it's been. Some people have more than others. But I think God's wealth distribution plan is that those of us who have are supposed to be part of giving it to others. To invite people to your table who cannot host their own parties. Jesus was like, here, I've given you. I'm trying to teach you to step forward and give to others. Verse 15, when one of those at the table, probably one of the Pharisees, heard Jesus say this, he said, blessed is the one who eats at the feast in the kingdom of God. It sounds very poetic, like, I thought of something brilliant to say. And Jesus is like, well, yes, let's talk about the resurrection. Let's talk about the kingdom of God. And I don't know that you have the same perspective as I do. So he goes into a second story. Jesus' second parable is this. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is ready. And then they all began to make excuses. The first person said, I just bought a field and I got to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought some oxen and I need to try them out. Uh, Please just excuse me. And still another person said, I just got married. I can't come. So the servant came back and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house was angry. And he ordered his servant, we'll go out into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in anyone you see. Even if they're poor, even if they're blind. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's more. There's more room. There's more chairs at the table or laying mats at the table. The master said, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who I invited first will get a taste of my banquet. Those lanes, those last people he was talking about who were living along the lanes, it's people who didn't have their own homes. That's where they were staying. So let's understand this so we can grasp the meaning of the parable. The situation was that the, the host, he'd already sent out the invitations like a long time back, like uh, save the date. And people were supposed to already RSVP. Like, yes, I can come. Yes, I can come. He gets a head count, knows how to prepare. But then on the day of, like if it's a very fancy dinner, like then he would send out his servant and be like, okay, go tell everyone it's ready. And he might even offer you transportation if he had those means. Like, I will bring you here and welcome you and and get you to the party myself. So these people on his guest list, they'd already said yes. He had counted on them. That's why it broke his heart to be like, well, now you're not going to come? Like, I made all this food and no one's actually coming? Here's the trick. Socially, this means something. There's a red flag here. Because everybody said, yes, like, this guy's cool. You go to his parties. But then there was this time period, and now no one, no one's choosing him? Something's happened in his status. Like, he's now like, meh, we don't go to his house. Something has happened in his life or in the culture or in the community, and he's now, like, out there. No one wants to have anything to do with him. So there's a status thing that's happening here. So that is the culture of what they are hearing, right? They're piecing all this together and they're like, oh, that would be an insult. Yeah, I can see that. 
So now if we're going to try to look deeper, we've got to have our perspectives. Okay? So parable two, our perspectives are, who were the original invited guests? Let's put ourselves in their shoes and see from their point of view. Well, if you were buying a field in that day, and I'm still astounded that people do it today, like buying a house or something, and not seeing it first, like that's just, that, that seems like a silly excuse. Like that person was definitely making it up or going to go try out your oxen. Like you're not going to buy them if you haven't like checked them out first. So they're refusing. And Jesus is trying to say that these guests, they have valued things more than God's invitation. So if we're putting ourselves in the perspective of the invited guests, Jesus is the host and he has been inviting people in. He's going around in his community, in his ministry for three years now, trying to tell people, I'm the messenger of God. Come. I got some good stuff. I got a good party going on in God's kingdom. And people are skeptical. They don't believe him. People don't believe in him now. But Jesus is trying to say, look, God is my priority, and I'm showing you he can be yours. And it's just a new way of looking at it. It's just like it's shifting their entire system, right? So it's back on ourselves because we're putting ourselves in their shoes. How are we relating to this character? If we're going to be an actor and we have to play this role, where do we find our connection to these characters? Well, what things do we prioritize in our life? I mean, to be honest, it's good to have a job so we can provide for ourselves and our families. That's a priority. It's a good, like, actual families and friends are priorities too. And things and having things, but Jesus is like, make sure the kingdom of God is up there in your priority list. So it's just like a good thing to ask. And I would say that because you're here today and because you're online watching them participating, like, this is a value to you, right? Like showing up to the kingdom of God in some form is a value to you. So how can we keep growing in that? That's step one. Are we continuing as a church family to help each other grow as disciples? Now the second, the second perspective I want to look at is the host of the party. If we're playing the role of the host, how does that feel? What are we learning from this person? Well, from the literal point of view, it's like, you should invite the people in the first place who would want to come and eat. So like what Jesus had just said at the dinner party was like, don't just invite your friends, invite the people who actually need it. And so from a very literal point of view, we can be challenged to invite people to our tables, into our lives, who we may not have thought of in the first place. They might have not been our first thought in the invitation list. They might be more awkward to sit and have dinner with. Maybe we're worried about how comfortable that would make us feel. And Jesus is like, take that step. Invite the people who are uninvited. Because if our job, if we're following after Jesus, if we want to look different than the rest of the world, then like we look out and we see people who are vulnerable, who are marginalized. And if we're not doing something about it, who is? It's hard to think about that on the daily life, right? 
because our schedules and our appointments and our priorities, but let's just be challenged. Something we can do this year to connect with someone, to bring them in, to take them out to lunch, to have coffee, to just introduce yourself to someone that you pass by on the street all the time and you never knew their name. But from a spiritual point of view, Jesus is saying to the church, when you're the host of a party and all of us who are believers are like hosting people coming into the kingdom, he's like, invite everyone equally. There's no power play. In fact, this is like, it's something that weighs on our hearts as church leaders. Like, we don't want to go out and do for other people. We want to serve people and bring them into God's kingdom, into the church as equal members. We don't want to just go and do and walk away, right? I'm not doing something for you that puts me as a higher level than you, right? I'm down here with you, walking together and saying, we're the same. We're equal members of God's kingdom. Let's struggle together. Let's provide for one another. Let's learn from one another. It's like a tricky mindset, right? There's like that savior mentality we can have as believers that we just got to check ourselves. Maybe like, how are we approaching this situation humbly, not exalting ourselves humbly? And finally, finally, our third perspective is we get to sit in the shoes of the marginalized, secondary invite people. The people who are just hanging out and Maybe they smelled the good food cooking down the street. Maybe they watched people getting ready and heard about this party. But they're like, I'm never going to be invited to a party like that. We could just sit there. And when we sit there, Jesus' message is, you get invited too. No matter how you've been treated, no matter what labels people have put on you, you're invited to God's kingdom. Don't forget that. You are valued in God's kingdom. And that's just something we need to hear. It's something we need to remember. That it doesn't matter if we're known by thousands or just known by each other in this room. God's like, you, you guys are here. You're part of it. You're chosen. You are chosen. But here's the bonus information. Is that right now, while these guests are sitting at this person's home, And if we're the invited guests that get to go to this amazing party we never expected to be invited to, someday, someday we will be the hosts. He's like, you don't stay guests forever in God's kingdom. You become the hosts. And someday you, in turn, are supposed to turn around to someone else and invite them in. Jesus is like, that's how the kingdom works. You figure it out. You take baby steps. You start to learn and grow. And then you're like, bring someone along. Everyone gets to invite someone else and begin to host in God's kingdom. So we always look, every scripture we dig into every week, we look in this book and we think, all right, how does this apply to our lives? We've been talking about it. But I try to come up with some keywords because it helps me. It helps me to just click in with something, and I hope it helps you too. And it came up by accident that every week I keep asking, how do we live as the redeemed people of Jesus? I happened upon this phrase the very first time I preached, and it just kept going. 
But God keeps teaching me when I look back and think, what does all of this mean? So the ways that we can live this out, let's just remember the words, dig in. Dig in because, you know, it's food. Has, everybody, has anybody ever told you that? Like, I've got all the food out. Just, just dig in. I like, I like when people tell me that. I'm like, sweet. I don't have to wait and be polite. I want to dig in, right? So we can dig in together and invite people to tables very literally. We can strive to push ourselves to ask someone to hang out at a table with us that, that frankly just makes us nervous. But I think that that's our, that's our goal here. So like make it, it might be a little awkward. It won't be as awkward as some dinners, but it might be a little awkward, but let's push ourselves to dig in with people together. Because you know what happens when you're at a table with somebody? You look at them and you're eating, and you're, you hope to relax a little, and, like, you learn something about them. I bet any meal you've had, and maybe it'd be positive or negative, but you learn something about a person when you're at a table together. So let's just dig in, meet new people, bring new people in, ask people that might intimidate us a little. I think, secondly, when we dig in, it's we dig in internally. We honestly look, and we're like, who do I relate to in these parables? Am I worried about where I'm sitting? Am I turning down an invitation that I should be saying yes to? Like, what is happening? And I think that honest work, you know what? You know what I love about our church family here at Echo Church is that there's so many of you I've watched do the work. You do the work for your mental health and your emotional health and your physical health. And so I just want to say, like, that's what these Sundays and these, that's what life together as a church family is about, is to work on our spiritual health together. And it takes some work. And, like, week after week, we have these challenges of, like, how to apply it. And sometimes it can be overwhelming, or sometimes it's like, okay, this one, this is something I can comprehend. But it's just step by step that we take together. And it's like, let's just try to do the work of digging in and saying, where am I spiritually? We can evaluate it like this. We can say, well, have I even said yes to Jesus? That's a good way to start. And if you have questions about that, if you're, if you want to know, how do you say yes? So how do you become a follower of Jesus? Come talk to me or one of our church leaders sometime. We'll talk more. And if you have said yes, then it's like, okay, are we doing the work to grow? Saying yes to Jesus is not the end. That's the beginning. And that's what we keep digging into God's word to be like, well, what did he live like? And we have all this stuff thrown at us today. It's like, in our world, how do we respond as Jesus would? And sometimes it's not always an easy answer. And we can rely on one another to figure that out together. And the last thing is just, are we inviting others? That's the scary part, even to me. Like, you think, like, well, I'm standing up here talking to you guys. I should have it all together. But that's intimidating. There's people I know who I want to invite. And I don't want to push them away. I want to be gentle, but I want to invite them in. That's hard to do. But I'm just trying to, to have those meals with them literally. Try to open up just a little bit more so they could see just a little bit of glimpse of Jesus. The one thing, one more thing in this podcast I listened to that interviewed Tony Hale as he talked about the latest TV show he was in, The Mysterious Benedict Society. And as I said, I just started episode one. And in that episode, his character, Mr. Benedict, is putting together a team of kids 
They have a mission. And they're all like kind of curious why he picked them. He picked four kids. And he says this. Most importantly, it was clear that you all possess a quality that is clearly lacking in our society. Empathy. He said, you see others. You care for others. And finally, he said, you love truth. And Tony talked about in his interview about how much that meant to him, this empathy and truth partnered together. That's what Jesus had. He spoke the truth at this dinner party, but he spoke it because he loved every person at that table. And he loved every person who was outside that door, not invited to the table. He had empathy for others, and he had God's truth. And he's like, we can put that together. So when we dig in internally, if we're honest, if we really look truly, and if we dig into dinner and have empathy for those that we get to know surrounding us, what a combination. We'll start to look like Jesus more and more because that's who he was. And every time we combine the empathy and the truth of God in our world, we're showing them just a little bit more of Jesus. We're looking like him, and he's shining through us. Thank you for being at this table today. And every week we gather around tables. We gather around tables, and we eat, and we drink. We've got some bread, and we have some juice, and we're remembering that the table Jesus wanted to invite us to in the kingdom of God So we eat together, and we remember all the things about Jesus and why we follow him. And he went to the cross. And every week, we don't want to forget. So there's something about eating and drinking that's like this physical experience. We want to remember that Jesus came to earth not just to teach, not just to tell great stories, but to die, to rise again, to redeem us for now and for eternity, so we can live an amazing life here and we can live an amazing life in the one to come. So we're going to end our day with communion. So when you feel ready, I'll pray, and then you can come down. We just ask for extra space or masks, please. We've got some, the headlines aren't great about the newest variant, so just let's give ourselves space and care for those around us as we take this communion. And if you just have something weighing on your heart that you would like to pray about with someone, then we have Eric here with us today who's, he's going to pray. He'll be in the back if you want to raise your hand, Eric, and just be like, go to him, pray, have some time to just talk. Or there's little cards in our pews. You can write something down if something's weighing on your mind and just leave it for us. We'll pray for you throughout the week. So let's pray together right now. Jesus, Thanks for food. Food's good. Keeps us going, but it's also pretty tasty. Thanks for liking food and liking dinner with people and having a good time and also telling a good story. Thank you for eating with all kinds of people. People you were comfortable with and maybe people who were awkward. Thanks for loving us, even when we're awkward. And help us to love other people like you do. Empathizing, seeing a bit of ourselves in someone else. And just looking at them with the truth that you have created all of us in your image and you invite all of us 
to love you. Thank you for who you are and who you made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.